The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. And you're welcome back. John Gibbons is with us for the last word on the environment. John, this story has been knocking around all week and it is a survey commissioned by the National Transport Authority looking into what would happen if we decide to offer people free public transport and in the hope that you get cars off the road. Tell us firstly what would happen to the amount of journeys taken but also the amount of carbon and reduction in cars on the road. Yeah, good evening, Ian. Yeah, it it is very interesting because I guess this story broke into the into the public domain uh, probably in the way that uh, Climate Minister Eamon Ryan introduced it, where he was talking about this phrase called unnecessary journeys, the idea that if you make something free, basically people will waste it. Now, uh, I guess in his back pocket was this uh, survey. And the survey is quite interesting because one of the things it finds is that, for example, where public transport, this internationally, where public transport has been made free, you've seen an, an increased uptake of 22%. So that's basically more than a fifth. Now, on the other hand, uh, walking is goes down by 7% in areas where, where public transport becomes free. And the real kicker, cycling goes down by 13%. So the net effect, Ian, is an overall reduction of, if you like, car-related traffic of, of just 1%. So unfortunately, it's one of these uh, things that is great for getting people off their bikes and onto the bus, great for getting people deciding, say, that, that you know, 15, 20 minute walk, ah, sure, I'll hop on the bus, it's free. The problem is what it absolutely, if you simply have a carrot-based system like this, in other words, we'll make public transport free, and if you think that's going to get people out of the sunk costs tied up in their cars, what this survey really puts that to bed, that is not going to work. You mentioned the carrot there is free, but the stick should be, well, look, we're going to ban certain types of cars from the road. We're going to increase certain types of public transport around the country, be it buses. We're going to extend train and Lewis lines if it's in Dublin. That will get people out of the cars and onto the buses. That's right. And of course, buses, I mean, everybody loves trains. And of course, we don't have nearly enough trains in, in, our, in our urban areas. That, that's, that's regrettable, but I guess it is something they're working on. People don't like buses. And the reason they don't like buses is that buses are unreliable. The reason, of course, Ian, that buses are unreliable is that they have to compete for limited road space, not just with cars, which is bad enough, but also, of course, with taxis. Because for no particular sensible reason, in Ireland, we allow taxis into bus lanes. They are not public transport vehicles. No, they are seen as public transport in certain cities around the world, including London. The problem really is, of course, that one person or two people in a taxi does nothing to relieve traffic congestion. I, I, I don't want to pick up on, on taxi drivers. <laughs> okay. We've picked on enough people. But I just want to stick with this because the cost here of this public transport, and it came out, it cost half a billion euro, shock horror, half a billion. Compared to what the Irish state spends every year, that's a low amount of money. So even if it took 1% of cars off the road, that is a reduction in probably still millions of miles of emissions not being used. That's surely worth it. I don't think, I mean, bang for your buck, I don't believe so. Spending half a billion to get almost no result, I don't think is a great use of our money. I mean, I think the other side of this, we've talked about the carrots and and the the free or low-cost public transport. For example, most public transport has been cut in half in the last year or so, and that's been enormously beneficial. And it has also boosted public transport uptake. The argument is, if you do that again and go to zero, do you double it again? Almost certainly not. I think you're, you're quickly into diminishing returns. But I think the issue really is the other side of this, Ian. For example, what we need is car-free areas 
areas in cities. This has been seen around the world. You need to introduce car-free areas in cities where there's no cars, traffic-free zones. They have all kinds of upsides. And of course, the, the main upside is they make space in cities for people. Problem is, a car, of course, is the most, the single most inefficient way, not just in in transport terms, but also when a car arrives into a city, you then have the problem of what do you do with it? Where do you put it? And every car is going to take up four or five metres of space. I mean, the the equivalent space of a of a like huge amounts of space tied up in in car parking facilities as well as road space tied up with it. Other things, obviously, that are being looked at that can make a difference, for example, would be congestion charges. We have this in major cities like London and they have, for example, a thing called the ULEZ, which is the ultra-low emission zone. So basically, unless you're driving electric, you don't come in at all. Now, they're the kind of steps that we need to take because what what we've got so far, Ian, is an incrementalist approach. We have to reduce transport emissions over the next seven or eight years by 50%. Now, transport accounts for one-fifth of all of Ireland's emissions. So this is a big, this is a big ticket item. Nothing bar modal shift, dramatic modal shift, will make a nibble into that 50%. But you know, when you say that, people are going to say, well, look, I'd love to take public transport. There's none near me. Also, I've been forced to drive in because I can't buy a house in the middle of the city centre. I'm stuck out on the outskirts of the cities. That, that is absolutely true. And it is important to say that this uh, study is very much weighted towards our urban areas and our suburban areas. It doesn't really relate to rural Ireland. Rural Ireland, the main decarbonisation they see in transport in rural Ireland, apart from improving bus links, is in fact electrification of vehicles. Whereas in cities, that is not solving the problem at all because you, it's overlaid in with the congestion problem. And no amount of electrification will resolve congestion unless the electrification happens to involve trains. You're not going to like my business post column this weekend because it is praising the government for that U-turn on hiking BIK for people that don't buy an electric car. There's more on that on the business post at the weekend. We'll move on, John, because there was a big announcement last Sunday, which is a strange time I thought to announce it, which was this big global deal on oceans. That's right, Ian. This is basically, I suppose, the first thing to say about it. The the deal covers what are called the high seas. And the high seas are those areas of the oceans that are beyond the boundaries of of, uh, national territories, beyond our territorial boundaries. So the area we're talking about here covers just under half the world's surface. It's an enormous area. And the issue really with the high seas is that it is a complete anarchy. There are no international laws or no binding international laws to say what actually happens in the high seas. Now, what we have, for example, less than 1% of the world's uh, oceans have any form of protection whatsoever. And this is a, I suppose it's a, it's a shocking anomaly because, you know, essentially we re- need and require healthy functioning ocean systems not just for themselves, not just for for marine ecology, but all life on Earth uh, requires healthy oceans. I mean, to take a, a very simple example, one breath in every two that you and I take involves oxygen that was produced directly by marine phytoplankton. Now, if we destroy the ocean, we're literally going to suffocate ourselves. Now, that's just one area, in that I could talk about. There are so many more. We need, for example, to regulate and in most cases ban seabed mining. Uh, This is a a really scary upcoming trend where basically we're now looking to mine on 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 the world's seabeds and there's huge consequences for this. Equally damaging, of course, is bottom trawling. This is a form of of fishing that is 
hyper-destructive where it involves essentially digging up the seafloor, looking for basically shellfish and so on. One of the amazing discoveries that has come out of bottom trawling is that it releases the equivalent emissions, about a billion tonnes a year, equivalent to the entire aviation industry. And this is being raked up, this carbon, by just a few hundred, maybe a couple of thousand fishing vessels. Treaties seem Doing, all very well and good until somebody decides, well, I'm not going to comply with it, and then how do you enforce it? This is the big issue. I mean, th- this again, it's wonderful. We all get together now and say we're going to have a treaty. Now, the problem, of course, is we do not live in a world of rules. We find, for example, we have the United Nations broker this treaty. The question is... Uh, what happens then when one country says, well, actually, our vital national interests say we will not abide by this. And we've seen this in relation to, to war and peace. And if you like, the, the war on our marine territories is something similar. I mean, China, for example, has an extremely aggressive overseas marine program. They've invested enormously in huge fishing fleets. And basically, they've made it quite clear that they've no intention of tying up those fleets in, in line with marine protection. So the short answer really is... Uh, this looks good. And by the way, just to say what the aim of the target here, Ian, is for a 30% protection by 2030. At the moment, it's somewhere between 1% and 0%. If we get a fraction of the way there, we'll be sucking diesel. Let's move on because this is an important story. Bangkok has now said that the level of pollution has led to nearly 200,000 people being admitted to hospitals because of the air quality. Yeah, it's a remarkable story and it's it's what they call an unpleasant yellow-grey mix of vehicle fumes, industrial emissions and smoke from agricultural burning. There's widespread agricultural burning. Uh, for example, the northern city of Chiang Mai, it's in an agricultural region where farmers, are they burn the, the crop stubble, so stubble for, for those townies basically is the bit left after you remove a crop of corn. And uh, when you burn that, of course, you get huge amounts of smoke. And that smoke is blowing into the urban areas and causing huge levels of pollution. The, 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 the stats on this are really absolutely extraordinary. We have 1.3 million people sickened in just, just in Thailand from this. Uh, 200,000, as you said, admitted to hospital. And the advice from the government is that if you're venturing outside, you should wear a high-quality N95 anti-pollution mask. Now, I don't know what the anti-maskers will make of that, but apparently uh, this is particularly good for your health. But it is, I guess it's indicative, Ian, really, of just what a deadly threat globally uh, air pollution is. It's really extraordinary. Air pollution is reckoned to kill upwards of 7 million people a year. That's more than the population of Ireland killed every year by air pollution. And the kind of toxic combination here, vehicle fumes, industrial emissions, uh, smoke from burning. And of course, we've seen this ourselves here recently in Ireland with the, with the uh, extensive and widespread burning of the hills that we've seen, uh, r- the big rush up to the end of February, continuing into March. And an extraordinary side note on that is that that burning was calculated in 2017 to release 1.9 million tonnes of CO2. Apart from making people people sick, apart from threatening people's um, homes and businesses. That's the equivalent, Ian, of 650,000 cars. The pollution from 650,000 cars just for a couple of hundred people in the uplands who've decided that they like to clear to clear the land by burning it. John, we're all out of time for this week. John Gibbons, thank you very much for joining us. Thankfully, we didn't upset the taxi drivers too much. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.